I'm sure many of you remember that that morning of Tuesday, September the 11th, uh, 2001, I remember as clear as like it was yesterday. It was a beautiful, beautiful summer day here in the Northeast. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. It was cool enough to be comfortable, but it was warm enough in the sun to get a reminder that the summer was still here. Amen. Millions of people were going about their business, did not have a clue what was about to happen. And then at 8.46 a.m., the uh, Flight 11 crashed into that North Tower of the World Trade Center. My wife and I were sitting in the office of the principal at the school in Bricktown here uh, on Chambersville Road, the primary learning center. We were holding our services there. We had just moved into that building uh, a short period before that. Um, really just a year or two, we were in that building at that point in time. We moved into that. We started in 97. We moved into that building uh, in 98 and were there for a number of years. And so there was a couple of issues that came up with us using the facility. And so the principal wanted to meet with us. And we're sitting in front of her desk. And all of a sudden, somebody came in the office and whispered something into her her ear. And she turned the TV on and said, oh, well, uh, it seems like there's been an accident at uh, the Trade Center in New York. And we went on with our meeting. But the point I want to make to you, and I want you to hold on to this idea here, that from 846 until 903, no one really had an idea what had happened. There was a lot of speculation. The first assumption was that this was an accident. Because when we first heard about it, I don't know about you, but I figured, okay, it's one of those little private planes must have just been flying too low or didn't file their chart right or whatever. And it was an accident. Uh, probably the pilot's fault. Maybe the pilot's drunk. Maybe the pilot had a medical emergency. Maybe it's the airline's fault. Maybe the person who was supposed to check the plane out didn't do their job very well. Or maybe the plane just wasn't manufactured accurately. We all had opinions and speculation about what was going on. However, at 9.03, when that second plane hit the, world, the, the Trade Center, we all knew that this was an attack. Amen. Millions of people watch on television as that hijacked United Airlines flight 175 crashed into the 77th to the 85th floor in the South Tower of the train center. So it wasn't until the second plane hit that all the speculation ended. We knew this wasn't an accident. We knew at that point this was an attack. But for 17 minutes, no one knew the cause of that accident. That Sunday, September the 9th, we had a guest speaker. Her name was Reverend Wanda Casper. Those of you that might have been back then with us, you, uh, Reverend, Reverend Wanda, Sister Wanda, sometimes she used to call herself Brother Wanda. She said, when I go to churches and I have a problem with women preachers, I call myself Brother Wanda. <laughs> she was there. This was the second time that she came to speak at our church. And the message that she preached that morning turned out to be so prophetic and I want to I read to you from the scriptures that she preached from Matthew chapter 13. Hold on to this. We're setting this up. This is not the main message yet. Matthew 13, 24. Now, mind you, in the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus teaches the parable of the sower sowing the word. Now, normally we go to Mark chapter 4 to study that because it's much greater detail. But Matthew's account of Jesus teaching that parable is in the beginning of this chapter. And that's why this portion starts out with another parable he put forth after he taught the parable of the sower sowing seed. Amen? 
Another parable he put forth to them is told about Jesus, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. Would you say that? Good seed. In his field. Keep going. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. Tares are a type, it's another plant that looks almost exactly like wheat. However, tares can be poisonous. And so if you're looking at a field, you, unless you have a very trained eye, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So let's go on with the story. But while men slept, now that hit me last night while I was teaching this on the Saturday night service. Uh, I've read this, I don't know how many times throughout the years. While men slept, why would the Holy Spirit put that in there? Is it possible that there was somebody that was supposed to be watching out that wasn't doing their job? And it's not unusual in ancient times for them to hire guardians because many times the fields that they were cultivating were outside of their villages. And so even we have another parable that Jesus taught about, about the, 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 the vineyard, how they built a tower. Well, why would you build a tower in a vineyard except that you have somebody in the top of that tower watching that someone's not robbing your grapes? So it's possible that this is brought out because somebody didn't do their job to watch, okay? While men slept, his, the owner of the field's enemy, came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. They grow at the same rate. When wheat sprout, tares are sprout. So listen. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, now watch this reaction here. They recognize something's wrong here. What's their first conclusion? They go to the master, they go to the owner, and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? You listening? How then does it have tares? In other words, who are they holding responsible? The owner. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but had they understood the owner's character, and they had understood his track record, that was the last accusation that they should have made. Hold on, we're getting there. And he said to them, in other words, just like for those minutes between 8.46 and 9.03, everybody all over the world was speculating. It could have been this, it could have been that, it could have been the other thing. Well, maybe you know, the plane wasn't manufactured right. Their first thought was, it's the owner's fault, okay? And what happens? He puts an end to all the speculation. He said to him, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, because you can't tell the difference between them, you uproot the wheat with them. Now we got a total loss. Let them both grow until the harvest, until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares. First the what? Tares. Are the tares a good thing? No. So first gather up the tares and bind them up into bundles and to burn them, but gather the wheat. Now, the wheat's a good thing, right? Yes. But gather the wheat into my barn. Next verse. Continue. No, not that one. All right, let me get back to my notes. So, we want to keep everything in context, okay? So we're going to jump down to verse 36. Jesus now explains to those who stayed behind. Watch this now. Verse 36. 
Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Let's stop here right now. If you go to Matthew, excuse me, if you go to Mark chapter four and study this, when Jesus throws the parable of the, the four different types of soil, you remember what I'm talking about? Okay. He throws it out to them raw because it's the multitude. When he's done throwing the parable out to them raw, he stops. The multitude goes, wow, wasn't that an awesome story? And they leave. The disciples stay behind and say to him, we want to know what you're really talking about. And then Jesus explains the parable, not to the multitude, but to the disciples. What's my point? Pastor, what are you making a big deal at? Listen to me. There are some times that you and I have to press in to get the full picture. Amen. Some of us are satisfied with, I really feel good. I went to church this morning. Church doesn't exist to make us feel good. Church exists for us to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Amen. Are you listening to me? Yes. So there's times when if you're not getting, the, and you realize I'm not getting the fullness Last night, I realized I had this much of that word that I delivered this morning. I realized I didn't have the whole picture. So I wasn't free yet to deliver what I had because it would have been incomplete. But pressing in, trusting God, recognizing that if he had a word to say to this congregation, he would give it to me or give it to somebody else. And that's how I pray all the time. God, if you want to use somebody else, go right ahead. I don't mind. I'll sit here and enjoy it. You see what I'm saying? The disciples were the ones that got revelation of this parable. The multitudes got satisfied with the surface thing and left. Amen. That's right. Which one are you? I hope you are, because we all need to be disciples. Jesus told us to go and, and, and preach the gospel to every nation to make disciples, not just trophies or just believers. Disciples, okay? So he sent the multitude away. And they went into the house and the disciples came. So the disciples didn't leave with the multitude. The disciples stayed behind and they said to him, explain to us the parable of the terrors of the field. Now he goes and explains. And he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. Who's the son of man? Jesus. He's saying, this is me. I'm talking about me. Okay. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Now Listen. We want to put this in context. This parable, Jesus is explaining to them what the process that's going to take place on the earth when he returns at his second coming. Not the catching away of the church, the second coming. Okay, and if you weren't here for the past two weeks, if you missed last two weeks, go online and listen to those messages because we dealt, we dealt with in detail the catching away of the church, which is the next thing on the calendar for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? He's now telling them, this is what's gonna happen when I come back, all right? The enemy who sowed them, them who? The sons of the wicked one on the earth. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. He's telling us, look, I gave it to the multitude in a story, in an illustration, but I'm explaining it to you in detail this is exactly what's going to take place at the end of the age, okay? Uh, is there another verse after this? Yeah. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it would be at the end of this age. 
Now watch this now. I don't want to spend any more time on this. Again, I don't want to teach any other context. Jesus taught this to show them and to instruct them and to us because he knew they wouldn't see this, but there's a really good possibility we will. We're in the last days. It's not a matter of it's coming, we're getting close. No, no, we're in the last days, okay? And we talked about that at length and in detail two weeks, the past two weeks, okay? What he's saying is this, watch this now. The catching, I never saw this like I saw this studying this this week. The catching away of the church is to separate the godly from evil. Yes? yes? Takes us off, we're with him. God then deals with the remnant that's on the earth. Well, it's not the remnant that's really got caught, in away, uh, caught away. God then deals with the people who are left on the earth. Many hundreds of millions are going to be saved during that time. But there is going to be hell poured out on the rest of the earth. When Jesus comes back, he's coming to claim the earth. This now becomes his habitation. Don't, don't pay attention to that we spend eternity in heaven. No, 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 no. We spend seven years in heaven. We come back. Our eternity is spent here in the new heaven and the new earth. So when Jesus is coming back to claim, and it said, well, you know what? Go back and give me the rest of those scriptures because that, that kind of selfless. I don't want you listening to my opinion. Son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that. Do we live in a culture right now that offends? You can't watch anything on television without being offended. I'm talking about righteous indignation. I'm not talking about a touchy-feely generation. I'm talking about we live in a culture that is completely offensive in the eyes of God. And that's got to get dealt with. That was a big amen. So to prepare the earth for his second coming and to prepare the earth for all of his saints that have existed from Adam to come and inhabit this earth, everything that offends has got to be removed. The tares have to get removed. You listening? Why? Because he's going to sanctify the earth once again. And for a thousand years, there'll be peace. And for a thousand years, there won't be the offense. And for a thousand years, sin will have no power on this earth. You listening? But that's not the point of the message. I want to make another point. I want to bring you back to September 11th. And for the fact that nobody really knew what happened until that second plane hit. The servants in that field did not know what happened. They're speculating. Didn't you plant good seed? If you planted good seed, now here's the accusation. If you planted good seed, how is there tares among the wheat? And he settled it once and for all. What did he say? An enemy, listen, an enemy has done this. When Wanda Casper preached that message two days before 911, we sat there and listened to it and, and we're like, oh, this is cool. But two days later, the impact hit. An enemy has done this. My wife and I had to drive up to Newark Airport 
that Sunday afternoon. My son and my oldest son, another young man that was in the church at that time, were out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, going to a conference about youth ministry. They were flying back that Sunday. I get tired on Sunday afternoons, so my wife's driving. We're going up to Newark Airport. We get on the park. We took Wanda out to lunch. She went back to the hotel. We get in the car. We go up to Parkway. Parkway, get off and go on to Turnpike. And Turnpike, get off at exit 13. And when you get off at exit 13, you have to make this sweeping turn. And as we're coming around, I could see the whole skyline in New York City. It was very clear that day. And I heard this on the inside as clear as a bell. You can believe me if you want. You don't believe me. It doesn't matter. I know. I was there. I heard on the inside. Take a good look at this skyline because very shortly there'll be a terrorist attack and this skyline will never again look the same. And I, I sat there and I thought, okay, maybe next year, maybe he's telling me this is going to happen a couple of years from now. Never in my wildest imagination could I have thought that it was going to happen within two days. And I'm telling you the truth, for the next couple of years after that, the guilt and condemnation I felt because I, real, I realized that God had been speaking to me and gave me an opportunity to pray about this thing, and I didn't grab hold of it. Put that aside. An enemy has done this. Listen to me. When the problem was first detected, none of the servants knew what or who was responsible. And so their knee-jerk reaction was, to blame the owner. He doesn't know what he's doing. The old man's losing it. He must have brought bad seed. Maybe he didn't check the seed. Maybe he never really wanted a good crop to begin with. Nobody got the answer right until the owner spoke. How many times, here's the point of the message, how many times when tragedy comes into our lives, when the doctor gives us a bad report, when an appliance breaks down, the car breaks down, we lose our job, the kids go crazy, the spouse cheats, how many times our knee-jerk reaction is, God, how could you let this happen to me? Maybe he isn't always good. Why is God punishing me? Or God's trying to teach me something, so he brought this tragedy. Now, the real tragedy is that we would come to the place to even think those things. And I know it happens. It's natural, and God understands that. But we absolutely know as believers, if we'll go to the Word, where the tragedy came from and who's responsible for it. Because the Bible makes it very, very clear. In fact, and I say this not to bring guilt or condemnation, but to bring a shaking and to bring an awakening, an awakening and an awareness now, if we're students of the word of God and we truly understand God's character by reading his word, because his word is his will. Amen. His word describes who he is. Apart from the word, we're left to man's philosophies and theories about God, and they're 100% wrong all the time. But when we do know what the word says about him, then no Christian should ever, ever say, God, why did you do this to me? How could you let this happen? Because the Bible is extremely clear, and I want to bring you to John chapter 10, verse 10. And yes, it's a very familiar portion of Scripture, but sometimes in the midst of our emotions and tragedy and the attack and the pain, we get worn down, 
and we're tempted to start thinking like those servants did in the field. God, didn't you give us good promises? If you gave us good promises, why am I experiencing this now? John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal. In other words, the only purpose of the enemy. He said, the thief does not come except, you want to read this with me? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus went on to say, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Thank you, Jesus, for making this clear. Now, inevitably, somebody's going to start thinking, well, what about this situation? And what about that situation? Stop theorizing things. The word of God is clear. It needs to be taken at face value. Jesus, the first time I preached this message was probably 20 years ago. We were meeting at the high school at that time. I'll never forget teaching this message. And I use an example that I don't think uh, uh, is as readily available as it was back then. Uh, back then, I'm talking 20-something years ago, when you went to order Chinese food, you didn't have these extensive menus like you have now. They gave you a menu, menu and had two columns. And they told you, pick one from column A and one from... Who remembers that? Okay. And so I use that as an illustration. I said, Jesus is making it very clear. If it's under column A, if it robs, kills, and destroys, it's from the devil. If it's under column B, life and life abundantly, guess where it came from? It came from God. Clear distinction. Now, I'm going to get a little bit ahead of myself. I'll repeat this later. The enemy wants you to mix it up. The enemy wants you to put the thing that's supposed to be under column B under column A, and what's under column A, put it under column B. Because inevitably, when tragedy strikes, somebody will say, well, I guess God's just trying to teach me something. Are you that thick-headed? You have a Bible. There's more word being preached, there's more gospel and word being preached in the world today than has ever existed in the history of mankind. We're supposed to learn from that. If you're that dense that you think that God would have to come and bring a tragedy into your life to teach you something, then you have fallen under deception of the enemy. God does not, the enemy is not on God's payroll. He doesn't use the devil to teach anybody anything. Get that settled in your heart. Stop this. And, and, and I'm telling you where it comes from. Don't get your feelings hurt. Don't, don't send me the Facebook messages, because I'll block you. Okay? I've done it, and I'll do it again. Okay? i got no time for that foolishness. Okay? Don't give me your theories. Don't give me this other stuff. Listen to me. The root of that is pride. The root of it is pride. If there was, see, pride is the bait on the hook. And here's, I said, well, how does that count? I don't understand the connection. I'll explain it to you. When a person, now nobody in here would be this stupid to do this. But when a person makes a distinction, well, I know you get attacked, but you don't understand the attacks I go, oh, you're special. You know, I, I know other people go through stuff, but man, the stuff I go through past, oh, you're special. There's a different category for you that the enemy has to pull out the nuclear weapons when it comes to you. The rest of us are all down here. He could just throw anything at us. You, you see the mindset? 
That's the enemy wanting you to isolate yourself so that he can finish you off. Because pride comes before the fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. When you start thinking, oh, you know, so-and-so, man, I don't see anybody going through the stuff that I'm going through. Honey, you're in the crosshairs. He wants you to think that you're special. Because I know there's some people that carry their attacks, carry their tragedies, carry their challenges like medals. You don't know what I've been through. Honey, I don't. Thank God the Holy Ghost knows. Because me knowing isn't going to make a difference one way or the other. You listening to me? Beware of these things. Because the enemy is extremely subtle. And he plays on those little subtle things within our souls. I've heard people say, I I had somebody say this to me years ago, and thank God, thank God, the Lord gave me revelation in this area, and I I chucked, oh, the stuff you're going through, you must have some call on your life. Now, the fact of the matter, we went through a bunch of stuff. Now, say, well, was it related to that? I don't don't know. I think I still would have went through some of the stuff, even if I wasn't called to pastor a church. But you see, if I would have settled on that thought, it would have put me here. Oh, call it's on my life. Look at the stuff that I've been through. Be careful that you don't let that mindset settle in your soul. Because it'll, it'll, it'll produce pride. It'll produce an arrogance. It'll produce a haughtiness. You listening to me? Yes. Now watch this. The enemy wants you to entertain the thought that although we know that God is good, there's sometimes he'll put you through stuff. Now, let me ask you this question. If you think something's coming from God and God is the source and the origin of that thing, are you going to fight it? No. No, I've I've said this to people in the past. I've said this to individuals, uh, particularly with physical healing. Well, I just believe that God put this sickness on me because he wants to teach me something. And I say to him, okay, then why are you going to the doctor? Why would you go to the doctor? If you think this is something that God's doing in your life and it's going to be good, then stay home and suffer in bed. I, I pray that you get a double dose of it. You see how foolish that thought is? Why are you taking medicine if you think this is God? Some, God put cancer on so-and-so, go on, teach so. Really? Well, then why would you go for treatment then? You see what I'm saying? The enemy wants you to drop your guard so that you won't fight. I hope you're catching this. We're talking about the subtleties of the enemy. God does not put sickness on people. I, I defy you. I challenge you to go find one instance in the Gospels where Jesus puts sickness on someone to teach them something where Jesus would have struck somebody with poverty to teach them something, where Jesus would have struck somebody with mental illness to teach them something. You're not going to find it. You might as well not waste your time because it does not exist. He came to bring life and to bring life more abundantly. And sickness and poverty and mental oppression and depression and everything that comes from the enemy does not equate with abundant life. Are you listening to me? 
I'll even take him one step further. If that stuff was God's will for our life, and if he's the origin of these things, if he's the enemy that has done this, then how come we don't see any of that in the Garden of Eden? The garden is the, is, is the prototype. I'm talking about before the fall. You don't see God. He says he put the good water there. He, put, he even showed them where the gold is. Gave them fruit, gave them herbs, gave them all the veg. Get them everything. I don't see where he put sickness in there because this is going to be good, Adam, because this is going to teach you something. No, sickness and disease comes after sin came into the earth. And Jesus came to redeem us from sin. So, and that includes every byproduct of sin. Are you listening to this? John 10, 10, we read that. James, excuse me. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know how you got your bumper stickers and your magnets on your refrigerator and your T-shirts and your little bracelets. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. King James says, thoughts of peace and not evil. Now, now listen, go back to that. I, I always want to explain this when I cover this. Anytime I mention this verse of scripture, I'm always going to bring this up. Always have, always will. If you don't understand the context of that verse, you don't understand the mercy and the goodness of God. Because we like to take that scripture. It sounds so good. It sounds so nice. We got it in our greeting cards. We got it all over the place. But listen to me. He spoke that to the nation of Israel while they're under judgment. Jerusalem's been destroyed. The temple's been destroyed. They were taken and deported to the other side of their world. And in the middle of it, God says to them, I know the plans I have for you. They're for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Original Hebrew says, plans to tie you and connect you to your future. In the midst of judgment that they brought on themselves, God's saying to them, you did this to you. I didn't do this to you. He sent prophets for hundreds of years to tell them, stop the idol worship. And he says, but my goodness is not going to disconnect from you. For I know the thoughts I have towards you. Because it would be very easy for that generation to say, God did this, God punished that. No, they brought it on themselves. He's good. James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. No shadow of turning. In other words, God's not moody. He doesn't give us good things sometimes and then bad things other times. He's always consistent. He's always faithful. You've got to settle that in your heart because in life, you're going to have tribulation. In life, there's going to be tragedies. In life, but we're in a battlefield right now. And in a battlefield, innocent people get hurt. Are you listening? We get caught in the crossfire. Things happen. But if it's not going to help us if when the thing happens, our first knee-jerk reaction was, oh, God, how could you let this happen to me? That's not going to help the situation. We've got to choose to believe his word, and his word is consistent in this fact. He is good, and his mercy endures forever. There's never a time that God is not good. There's never been a time 
that God is not good. There's never been a time that God has not been love. He always is love. You listening? It's always consistent. Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you're not consumed, O sons of Jacob. In other words, I'm the rock, I'm immovable. He doesn't shift around like the shadows reflecting the change of the position of the sun. You listening? We just moved from one house to another. The house that we used to live in, the sun come up in the morning, hit the front of the house. In the afternoon, the blazing heat was in the backyard. We moved on the other side of the street. So now I get up in the morning and and I go in the kitchen and get a cup of coffee and it's like, ah! (laughs) And later in the afternoon, the sun's in the front of the house. So now I'm having to reorient. (laughs) My wife loves the sunshine. She was up to her, there would be no roof on the house. I'm like, We don't have to worry about those things with God. He doesn't change. You understand? A sundial tells us what time it is by the shadow that it casts. So the shadow's always changing. Why? Because the sun's always moving. Well, you figure out how you want to explain that. Whether we're moving, the sun's moving, I don't care. But the shadow's always changing. That's not God. He's immovable. He never changes. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ, the same Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the what? Come on, guys. Did you fall asleep on me? Jesus Christ is what? The same. Now, listen, I went and looked up what Rick Renner has to say about this. Rick Renner, to me, I consider him the top Bible scholar in the world today. This is what he said about that verse of Scripture. The Greek word for same emphatically states that Jesus Christ is unchangeable. What good news this is in a world where things are changing as, at lightning speed. Jesus Christ is the one person we could depend on to be the same, regardless of the time or the spirit of the age. We don't need to refigure who Jesus is, what he thinks, or what his message is, because he is the same. And everything he represents is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he planted the good seed of a promise in the word thousands of years ago, and he's the word, and he changes not, then guess what? Then that good seed, the promise, is just as good today as it was when it was first spoken by whatever prophet spoke it out. Amen. Settle that in your heart. Don't let the enemy come in and throw, throw seeds of doubt into your heart. Well, God, maybe, you know, you know, uh, you, know, you, you, know you haven't been living right, so God did this, broke your washing machine, broke your refrigerator, uh, you know, because he's got nothing better to do with his time. <laughs> You know, broke your car, uh, made your dog die, whatever. If he's the same, then his promises are the same. His faithfulness is the same. He doesn't promise abundant life one day and then turn around and give us tragedy the next. Understand where the tragedy is coming from. Jesus himself said, the thief comes only to rob, steal, whatever, kill, destroy. Make that clear. Why is that important? Again, I bring you back to what I shared a few minutes ago. If you entertain the slightest doubt where this is coming from, and you think, well, God's using this and God's going to do it. And, and listen, does God use the situations that come at us sometimes? Yeah. 
You hear about this constantly. I was just talking to somebody who's been spending a lot of time in the hospital, you know, uh, with a loved one. And yeah, opportunities are coming to speak with the nurses and speak with the doctors and share with this person. Of course, God's not going to waste that, but it doesn't mean that he caused it so that those people would, and people will present that argument. Well, you know, God had to put me in this bed so I can, no, God could have sent you without being hurt, without being in bed and go, hey, go to the hospital, go to room, uh, go to floor three, go to room 322. Maybe that's prophetic. Somebody better write that down. And go talk to so-and-so. Doesn't need to put you in, in, in a tragedy to put you there. Are you listening? Yes. You could hear from God. We just talked about this morning, establishing that flow from us to God, that we hear clear from him. We know and we flow. We hear and we go. Are you listening? That should be our confession constantly every day. I know when I flow. I know I hear your voice, Lord. So I'm saying that constantly. Father, I'm your sheep, and I hear your voice. And the voice of a stranger, I'll be able to distinguish and not listen to it. Paul said there are many voices in the world, none of them without significance. There's a lot of voices speaking to us. And not everything that's spiritual comes from God. Oh, pastor, I had this spiritual event that took place, and this happened, and six black cats walked in front of me, and and I looked in the cloud, and it looked like a bunny rabbit, and all the, stop it. God gave us the word to give us direction. His word is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. Not bunnies and clouds, not all this other stuff. That's how people get led astray. Oh, my dead grandmother appeared to me last night. Well, you better cast that thing out because it ain't your grandmother. It's some demon masquerading as your grandmother. Stop looking. Every Every spiritual event that takes place does not come from God. Say this with me. I am his sheep. I, am his sheep. I hear his voice. I, hear his voice. I, recognize his voice. I recognize his voice. And the voice of the stranger, the voice of the, stranger, the, voice of the enemy, the voice I, will not follow. I will not follow. Amen. Amen. All right, so let, before I wrap this up, let's go, let's go through some more scriptures, just in case you're like, eh, I don't know yet. <laughs> the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. Exodus 34, 6. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Psalm uh, 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is... The Lord is what? All the time or just sometimes? Blessed is the man who trusts in him. We got to trust in his goodness. Even when it looks like all hell is breaking loose, you trust in his goodness. We don't sit there and start putting God on trial. Amen. Nahum, that's in the Bible. Nahum, one of the minor prophets. I don't know if that means he was little or if his. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. So how could God cause your trouble and then turn around and be a stronghold in the day of trouble? What is he playing mind games? No, no. And he knows those who trust in him. He knows those who trust him. So he knows those who trust him. Guess who is going to give revelation knowledge about the situation you're in? The one who trusts in him. Father, I don't know what's going on here. Father, none of this makes sense. Father, I don't know where this came from, but my eyes are on you. 
just like Jehoshaphat when he, when he was told, there's armies coming at you that we can't even count how many they are. They're like the sand on the seashore. Multitudes, multitudes, multitudes. Now Jehoshaphat, probably in the natural, King Jehoshaphat, probably his knees are knocking together. Why? Because he knows the first one they're going to come after is him. Why? You take off the head. You don't have to worry about the rest of the people. But he prays this prayer. And he reminds God of the prayer that Solomon had prayed hundreds of years before. And then he ends with this. But our eyes are on you. And bam, as soon as he said that, there's a prophet in the crowd because this whole multitude had gathered in Jerusalem at the temple. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit moved on an individual and gave the king the plan. He said, go out there tomorrow. Put Judah, the tribe of Judah, put them in the front of the army. Why? The, the tribe of Judah is known for praise, for worship. He said, put them out front and give them this instruction that they're to say, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And as that army went out and all they shouted, they weren't going out there to fight a battle. They were going out there to make a declaration. Amen. And as they went, and they began to sing. And all the people with them began to sing. For the Lord, come on. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. The armies started ambushing each other. And Jerusalem, Judah, King Jehoshaphat and all of his people were spared. Why? Because no matter what it looked like, they put their trust in God. I know every single one of us in this room could sit down today and tell stories, horror stories, of the stuff that you've been through, the stuff that you might be in right now. But I'm telling you, identify your enemy. Don't mix him up with God. Put your trust in him, and he's going to bring you through. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope this has been an encouragement to you. I pray that you always remember that distinct line, column A, column B. If it comes to rob, kill, and destroy... It's the devil. If it comes to bring you life and life more abundantly, it's God. Amen? Yeah.